0: Amen. Well, listen, today we are really excited because we get to finish our Lost and Found series. We hope that you've enjoyed it in this series. We've been looking at the prodigal son, and you know, the prodigal son returns is a phrase that a lot of us, if not all of us, might be familiar with, but we love this story because it's so unique because it has an invitation to, 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 to explore the topic of personal identity. So what we've been doing in Lost and Found is we've been taking a fresh look at the story and then searching for insights that we can learn for ourselves as it pertains to our identity in Christ. So Pastor Jim is going to conclude this today. Would you give him a warm welcome? The one, the only. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's an exciting day. It's always exciting to see people take that next step in their walk uh, with Jesus. And it's an honor to, as always, to have the, the Teen Challenge men here. Uh, we love the passion that you have. We love to see what God's doing in your life. And uh, it's just an honor to have you here. So I I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And um, God is so good, isn't he? God is so good. And so, yeah, like David said, we're finishing a series on Lost and Found. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 15. And while you're doing that, I just want to take a second to welcome all of our live stream viewers. And um, it's an honor to have you join with us. We are a family like no other, so we always invite you to join with us physically here, but we do understand people have limitations uh, when you're sick, you're out of town, um, and, and various other reasons to um, prohibit you from being here. and we're so glad you joined us. But also for us here, um, as this goes into uh, the Facebook uh, onto the Facebook app. If you could take a second and share the live stream. We have seen, um, I think it was last month, we had over 5,000 views on Facebook with these live streams. So we're, you know, the gospel changes lives. And we want to use and leverage technology to see that happen as much as possible. So you're, you're welcome to use your phone to, to get into Facebook and, and share the live stream here. But then um, I just want you to tune in today for uh, this message I want to start in Luke chapter 15, and here's the setting. Jesus is around sinners and tax collectors, and the religious people, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law have an issue with that. And as a result of that, Jesus goes into three successive parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Um, and, and so we've. This is week four of this series, specifically focused on the prodigal parable. And tonight or today, this morning, we're going to look at um, the older brother. And I want us to look at this with fresh eyes, a fresh set of eyes, because when you hear the story or even think about the story of the prodigal, this older brother gets left out. And really, I, I think it's brilliant by what Jesus did because. When we see his reaction, it's literally a response to feeling left out. You know what I mean? Let's look at Luke 15. We're going to start in verse 25. Luke 15:25. it says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. You could also find this, the scriptures and the notes in the, the church app if you're interested in grabbing a hold of that. The older son was in the field. This is The meanwhile comes in after the younger son returns. He had squandered all of the inheritance that he received. And I hear myself on other people's phones. That's pretty cool. <laughs> he had squandered the inheritance and he concluded, you know what? I am, I'm not worth it anymore. I, I'm not even worthy to be called a son anymore. And so he heads back home and the father, by his actions and by his very words, proves that he was worth it. He runs out to him. He uh, embraces him. He welcomes him back into the home. He throws this big celebration, just like what we see in the previous parables. The uh, the shepherd who found his lost sheep, he, he got his sheep back and he throws this big party. The woman who lost her coin and found the coin, she finds this coin and throws this big party. Well, the father, who got his son back, threw a big party. And so this party is going on. He, I mean, he, he restores his son. He's like, you're not worth it. You are my son. What, are you kidding me? He welcomes his son back. He puts the robe on his shoulders, the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet, and he kills the fatted calf. And there's this huge celebration going on. And we pick up the story here in 25. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, I don't know what this party was like. But, I mean, when you hear dancing, that's got to be crazy. You know what I mean? I mean, the beats kick in. It's like, boop, boo, booch!" You know, and it's just, uh, I mean, you can feel it vibrating through the town. You, you know what I mean? And then you hear this celebration from a distance. You've worked a long, hard day, and who knows? Sometimes they were out longer than a day. They could have been out weeks at a time. Nevertheless, he comes back, and he hears music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him, what, what, what's going on? The servant said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has him back safe and sound. What a moment of celebration. Right? It, it, there's excitement in the air. But the older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. And this, by the way, is a scene that is not well. He's making a scene. It's a scene that's not well described by these limited words. I mean, this is, this is the utmost of embarrassment to a father. This, this is, he's making a scene by not going in to the celebration. And he says this, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Another thing that uh, Middle Eastern fathers would never do in a normal situation. His father goes out and pleads with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. I, I mean, you can, you can hear the frustration and the anger in this older brother's voice. And in reality, I'm betting there's, there's many of us in this room that could, could associate with this guy. I mean, I get it. I, I don't know if you'd be frustrated. Don't, don't raise your hand. But, I mean, we can relate to this older brother. We can relate to this, you know, to this, this older brother because it seems like that, uh, it seems like the situation where disobedience is seemingly being uh, rewarded and obedience is, is being unrewarded in this situation, Uh, He comes back. I mean, what if if the party had been going on for days? These kind of parties lasted uh, typically a week, maybe even longer. And what if if he comes in in the middle of the party? I, I don't know about you, but I could see it could be easy to be frustrated. Like, you know, couldn't you have sent someone to get me? Uh... You know, here's this guy. He wasted all of our family's money. At least the, the portion that he received, it's gone. He, he's dragged our family name through the mud. I, I mean, we're a laughing stock to the community now. And it's reflective on you, Father, because uh, I, you're the one who raised this kid. He's not even my brother. It's your son. We do that when my wife and I do that. <laughs> Kelly, would you take care of your son, please? So, I, I, can, I can relate to this guy to some degree. By all appearances, he's a model son. He does what his father's father asks of him. He didn't, he didn't leave home. He stayed home. Can you, can you sense the frustration? And maybe you're here today and, you know, you're... you're You had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. And from a young child, you were being shared uh, the gospel and the love of Jesus. You saw it perfectly demonstrated in your family. And you've grown up a life of staying home. You didn't run. You weren't rebellious. You stayed home. And it's easy for us to look through the eyes of this older brother when that's our life. You know, I, I did what I was supposed to do. I've obeyed God. I've obeyed my father. I didn't run. I'm here all along. I'm serving. I mean, many people who can see through his eyes, they're, they're the best workers in the church. They, they're hard workers. They're faithful. They serve regularly. They're the ones that are called upon when there's a need. That's this guy right here. Just faithful. Faithful. It's, it's, it's a perspective that we fail to see. We can, we can stand back and look at this guy and, and say, you know, if we're looking at it, just reading through it, it's, we look at it and we say, well, shame on him, you know? But when we start to look at it in today's reality of Christianity, we could relate. But there's a problem that is being presented by Jesus, You see, we cannot fail to remember who Jesus is speaking to. He was with the tax collectors and sinners, which represent the younger son, the prodigal, who was rebellious. But he was speaking to the the, uh, Pharisees and the teachers of the law, which really, in this story, represent the older brother. And I want to talk to you today from the angle that if we are not careful, we can start to think like the older brother. We can start to look at prodigals and we can start to look at people who are working through their mess with judgment, with criticism, with harshness. And I don't know how many prodigals avoided ever coming home because of the fear of what they would get from the family of God when they came back home. And so I want to look at this, uh, not, to, not to point the finger at anybody, but if the Holy Spirit's moving, we need to respond to what he's saying to us. Because I think there could be a little, uh, little Pharisee in all of us. I, I think that we can, if we're not careful, we can move in that direction. The longer we're in Christianity... We can move in that direction. And you know how I think we can move in that direction? By going through the motions of Christianity, but not experiencing the father of Christianity. You see, it's the father's love. It's the father's love that changes everything. It's the father's love that melts away a critical heart and a critical attitude. It's the father's love that helps us to see through his eyes and look at people with compassion and not judgment. Look at people with love and not criticism. You know, because we're all on our own paths. We're all on our own journey. And it's easy to stand over here and say, look at that guy. I mean, he's in and out of church. He's going through struggle after struggle. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I don't even think he's a Christian over there. And one of the problems is we fail to see our own issues. And so I want to share with you three very quick points that could happen or, or come about or... Um, Thoughts that we could step into if we're not careful. And so I, I word it this way without a loving relationship with the Father, a person may entertain the following thoughts. Here's the first thought I see me as good. I see me as good. We're going to get these three points right from this passage I just read to you. I, I see me as good. That means I've got it together, I, I don't have the issue. I don't have problems. It's not me, okay? Don't be looking at me, Father. And yet here he is talking to his father very sharply, very, in a very dishonoring, disrespectful way. He, he, he's standing afar off. He's not joining in the celebration of the return of his brother. You see, I can see me as good when I stop encountering the love of God. And you know how we see ourselves as good? We look at other people. There's got to be someone out there worse than me, and so when I find that person, that makes me feel good about myself. That makes that justifies my goodness in the eyes of myself, right? And so, so we 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 uh, look for other people to compare ourselves to. Secondly. It's a compliance issue. It's like, it's the work that we do. Look at all this. I mean, I have served as an usher for years. Where are all the other ushers? I'm here when you need me. I'm not trying to mimic anyone in this room. None of my ushers. You guys are amazing. I'm just trying to use an example. Actually, it's guys and girls. I'm not trying to be uh, specified gender here. But I'm just trying to share with you the thinking that we can come to. If we're not careful. Where is everyone? You know, they they should be serving too. And I agree. I agree people should be serving. But when we start to see ourselves as better, the more faithful, the harder worker, you know, the, the one who's earned greater favor with God, we start to step into the wrong type of thinking. And this is reflected by this older brother. So verse 29 says this. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Really? Slaving for you? And never disobeyed your orders. Does that sound like a son that has a great relationship with his father? I mean, if my son or daughter said, you know, I feel like a slave when I'm around you, that would be an extreme insult to me, wouldn't it? It would cause me to look inwardly and say, what am I doing? What am I doing wrong? Or is it this person's, my son or daughter's perspective that is skewed to some degree? I've been slaving for you all these years. It's not like, Father, I love, I love to serve. This is an amazing family. I love to serve here and I recognize how generous and kind you've been to me. Last I remembered, the father in heaven is a perfect father. And so this father in this story is representative of the father in heaven. And so this guy, this guy says, All these years I've been slaving for you, I never disobeyed you. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And I want to say to you, this may be shocking to you. The older brother, like the religious leaders is religious but lost. He's just as much a lost son as the one who was rebellious. You see, we can be lost in religion. In fact, that's the title of my message today. Lost in the spirit of religion. We can be lost in our goodness. We can be lost by being so stinking good that we forget that uh, we're not good on our own. It's the Father. It, it's, it's the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, that has taken care of our sins. We can lose perspective that we can earn the Father's favor, that we can earn um, the Father's grace. And, and so we can look at ourselves as being so good that, you know, God, um, I, I'm so good that you should answer my prayers. I, I'm so good that uh, you should give me a good life. You know, I'm so good that you should take me to heaven. And I'm trying to be a little emphatic today because even though our thoughts in that realm may be subtle, we can think that way. We, we, can, we can land there and, and it's, it's unhealthy. And I want to say to you this, the inward sins could be worse than outward sins. Not in, in the level of difficulty are not in the level of judgment, but in the sense that they're harder to discover. They're harder to see. You see, the, the younger son, the prodigal, the rebellious one, he recognized, listen, I messed up. I need to go back home. But the older son, even in the midst of this mess, never recognized that he had an issue. And sadly, the story ends. And we don't even know what happens with this guy? Does he stay lost? Does he stay distant? Does he stay away? Does he take his inheritance and run? I mean, what, what's going on with this story? And that's the intrigue that Jesus throws into this parable. It's the intrigue that Jesus leaves these people, his hearers, with. Like, what are you going to do? Because self righteousness doesn't pave a way for us to get into heaven. Neither does uh, superior, superiority or judgment or jealousy. These things can lurk in the, in the heart of a person who becomes religious. And it causes us to look at other people differently. So, so the younger brother knew that he had an issue. The older brother never did. He never saw anything wrong with his actions, with the attitudes of his heart. And Solomon, the wisest man, that ever lived apart from Jesus, says that we need above all else, we need to guard our heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. And so there's this verse in Matthew 15 that represents, that represents the kind of people that Jesus is addressing. It says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And for Jesus, it was an attitude of the heart. Yeah, he wants us to obey him. Yeah, he wants us to do the works of God. Yeah, he wants us, you know, to to use himself as an example. But it, at the core, God wants sons, not servants. He wants daughters, not servants. Not people that view their, their walk with God as like, yeah, I'm just a slave here, you know? And, and I get it. We could argue with Paul like a bondservant and using the bondservant. But, but really... What this whole thing that God is going after is, is a relationship. And in the presence of a father, our heart melts. Criticism melts away. Judgment melts away. Superiority, us feeling more important than other people, it just melts away. And this son, maybe he just spent too much time in the field and not enough time with the father. I just don't know uh, what, really, what really brought this about, but listen to me, no amount of serving in the fields, no amount of fasting, no amount of sacrifice um, in the church can earn the love of the Father. Because he already loves you. You can't do anything to earn his love. And so his mindset is, uh, you know, I've, I've obeyed all the rules. I've, I've done it all, God. I mean, why Uh, Why is this happening that you would honor him in such a way, but you didn't even honor me? I deserve this. He didn't obey any of the rules. And so our thinking could take on this, um, you know, I've got to earn your approval. I've got to earn your acceptance. I, I don't know if I'm talking to anyone who could relate to this. But let me tell you something, the longer you're in the church, the more susceptible you are to the spirit of religion. The more vulnerable you are to begin thinking this way. You know, when we're fresh in the faith, Jesus comes into our lives, we surrender, and everything's amazing. And, you know, our friends that are struggling the way we struggle are coming into the faith, and it's amazing. But once we're in the faith for a while... We can look at people like, yeah, just, you know, always struggling. Look at the way she's dressed. You know, uh, uh, it just seems like you're, you're always going through them around the mountain again. And so our problem is that we see ourselves as Good. I'm thankful that I'm free from the performance-based religious mindset. And God help us. Listen, we are called to love people. And the first part of it is recognizing our need of a savior. Recognizing our need that we need help, you know, seeing ourselves as uh, one who needs forgiveness and one who needs uh, God's touch. You know, the older brother, he doesn't repent because that represents the older brother mindset. What would I need to repent of? What have I done wrong? You know, because he's got sins of the heart going on inside of him. So um, a religi- the religious... Uh, mindset operates on the principle I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. But the gospel operates on the principle I am accepted by God through Jesus Christ, therefore I obey. see this? And here's another thing. If we never need mercy for ourselves because we're so good, how could we ever be one to extend mercy to somebody else? So, um, I see me as good. The second point is, I see you as not good enough. See, we can take on this thinking, absent of the Father's love, absent of the, the, Father, the Father's transforming presence. We, we can start to think this way. Oh, I'm, I'm so good. You know, I've done it. I've got it going on. And then we begin to look at other people is not good enough. It's right here in the scripture, verse 30. It says this. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, let me just pause for a second. How did he know that he squandered his property with prostitutes? I mean, the son just came home. How did he know? You kill the fat and you kill the fattened calf. For him, You see, he's saying, I see this guy is not good enough. He is not worthy to be called your son. He, he's not worthy to be a part of this family anymore. He's shamed us. He's disgraced us. We cut him off and we move on. And that's religion. How many people do you know that has been cut off because they offended you? You know, they're no longer a part of your life. They offended you. They said something to you or said something to someone you know. And we just, we just cut them off. It's not grace. It's not kindness and forgiveness. It's, I'm, I'm just, you're, we're done. You and I are done. You see, I see you as not good enough. In Luke 7, there's this story of Jesus. He's at this house of a Pharisee named Simon. And we're told in another passage that he was, he was formerly a leper. And Jesus is reclining at the table of this guy's house. He's eating with, uh, with Simon and all of Simon's friends. And this woman, uh, this woman who had lived a sinful life, and I believe the scripture says that she was a prostitute, comes in and she has this alabaster jar of perfume. And the scriptures tell us that the worth was about one year's wages. I mean, this is costly perfume. And she breaks the jar, and she begins to anoint his head and, and wipe his feet with her tears. And Simon's sitting back there. I could just see him now. He's leaning back, and he's thinking to himself, the Bible says he, he, he had this thought. If this man really knew who this woman was, if he was really a prophet, If he was a prophet, he would know that she is a sinful person. And Jesus looks at him and says, now he's having this thought, right? He didn't say this out loud. Jesus looks at him and said, Simon, I want to say something to you. Because, you know, Jesus was able to perceive in the spirit what Simon was thinking. And he says to Simon, you know what? Say there's this person over here, and they had this debt of 500 denarii, which a denarii was one day's wages. So say you make 100 bucks a day, that's 5,000. Uh, 5, My math is just like, ran away from me just now. Is that Or 50,000, whatever, it's 500 days wages, okay? Uh, and so there's this person over here, and then there's this other person over here, and this person owed this man five denarii. And the, the guy who was owed chose to forgive the debt of both. And he says, which one do you think would love the man more? And Simon says, I suppose the person who was forgiven more. And Jesus says, you have said rightly. You've said, you've said Rightly. So Simon is judging based upon how he sees this woman, right? And Jesus is saying, she's going to love me more because she's recognized her need for forgiveness more. In a religious spirit mindset, we don't think we need forgiveness. We've done nothing wrong. And so we're quick to point the finger and judge other people for their wrongdoing. But let me tell you, Simon needed just as much forgiveness as that that woman who is wiping, wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and tears. You hear me? And, and so, if we're not careful, we look at ourselves as good. We look at other people as not good enough. As not good enough. And so, uh, self righteousness can kick in. And it leads us to think, I'm better than you. It leads us to think, you know, you're not good enough. You're not achieving as much. You're not pleasing to the Father. People walk in the doors of this place broken. I want them to feel love, not judgment. You understand? I want them to feel accepted. I want them to feel valuable. No matter where they're coming from, what they got going on in their lives, they matter to God. This is the whole reason for this story about lost things. Lost people matter to God. And so we can't sit back, you know, in our, in our, leaning back in our chair of judgment and say, nope. I see you. You're not, you're not good enough. I'm sorry. You, you just don't make the cut. We, we've got we've to look through the eyes of the Father. We've, we've got to encounter God so that we can love the way he loves. And don't you know um, also that there's this, this Christian double standard. Do you know like in the pages, in the back pages that were omitted in the script? I'm just, I'm just joking. There is a Christian double standard. And here's the Christian double standard. Your sins are worse than my sins. And it goes sort of like this. Do you see her? You see the way she dresses over there? You know, she always dresses like that. She, you know, she's got this problem. She's trying to get people's attention. Do you know that gossip's just as bad as, as other problems? And so we think... We think that we can point the finger at other people and say, look at that problem over there, and we're exempt. Like, okay, so that sin over there is worse than that sin in here. And that's the Christian double standard. We, we can't fall prey to that mode of thinking. It's deceitful, and it's from the enemy. It causes division. You know, instead of loving one another, it, it separates us. It makes, us, makes it easier for us to walk by people in need. It makes it easy for us to ignore when someone's broken and, broken and hurting that we can reach out to them. No, uh, you know, because we've already separated ourselves from them because we're better than them, right? And, and we don't see the sins that are just, you know, lurking in our heart. It remains hidden from us. So the third and last thought that I have, actually, you know, the Christian double standard is not just a Christian double standard. I mean, you see it in politics. One person's pointing the finger at the other, but the, I mean, they're just as guilty. Each of them is just as guilty, right? It's all over the place. Um, But it's tragic when prodigals wanting to come home are stiffed armed by by self-righteous, judgmental, critical sinners in the church.